Hi, everybody. On today's episode of Experimental Brewing, we're going to do things a little differently than we usually do. Today's show was recorded live at the 2018 Australian National Homebrew Conference, which took place October 25th through 27th in Melbourne, Australia. Yep, we were invited to give the keynote address as well as each of us giving us separate presentations. That's right, participants got to hear us talk multiple, multiple times, including this podcast. Uh, together we talked about uh, simplicity, and I can't imagine why. Yeah, really, imagine that. Uh, I talked about the philosophy of recipe design. And I talked about the power of session beer. But it wasn't just us. We were joined also from the States by Chris White from White Labs and Jay Goodwin of the Rare Barrel in San Francisco. You may remember that Jay was one of the first people we interviewed for the podcast a few years ago. Uh, also talking at the conference was our good friend from Australia, Peter Simons, uh, an author and renowned beer historian, as well as numerous Australian experts, uh, at least one of which we're going to be talking to in the podcast. It was a really, really well-organized conference, and it was a ton of fun, wasn't it? Yeah, I can't say that uh, I thought it was bad. I had a great time. <laughs> we, were, we ran around. It was it was good times. It um, was. Now... In addition to the conference, there was also the final round of judging for the Australian National Homebrewers Competition. And during this podcast, we'll actually talk to winner Barry Cranston uh, and Peter. There was even a homebrew and beer pairing dinner. And, of course, it can't be a homebrew conference without having a club night. And this club night included a beer-serving Dalek. Inebriate. 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 Man, it was, um, I'm sorry, but it was really cool. Uh, we'll put up a picture of that so you can see it, but believe me, a, a five foot tall remote control Dalek with kegs inside is definitely impressive. Yeah, definitely a good beer serving robot. That's right. So sit back and enjoy this special live episode of Experimental Brewing. But first, here's a message from some of our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pico Brew. Makers of the Zymatic and Pico Brewing Systems. The brewing systems of the future are here now. Discover how easy and rewarding it is to make great beer with Pico Brew. And by Craftmeister and BTF Iodophore. When you absolutely, positively need to make every surface clean, bust out the cleaners with professional power and home brewer safety. Make better beer with better chemistry. Choose Craftmeister. And by the American Home Brewers Association, a community of more than 45,000 individuals who share a common passion beer. Since 1978, the HA has promoted and advanced the most delicious hobby in the world, providing brewing resources, supporting homebrewer-friendly legislation, offering exclusive member deals at breweries and homebrew shops, and hosting one-of-a-kind events like HomebrewCon and the National Homebrew Competition. Join your beer-loving peers at homebrewersassociation.org. And by you, our listeners, go to experimentalbrew.com to help support us. Click on the Patreon link to donate whatever amount you'd like to help support us and our charities. Click on the Brew Your Own Magazine link to subscribe to BYO. Or click on the HA link to join the American Homebrewers Association and receive a subscription to Zymergy Magazine. Part of the proceeds from those go to help support the podcast. Thanks for your support. It's just about time. It's just about time. Don't you think it's about time we talked about beer? So come on in, yeah, come on in, just come on in, 
and pour yourself a beer. Okay, this is the part where everybody sings. Beer, 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 beer. Beer, 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 beer. Beer, 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 beer. Beer, 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 beer. Welcome to a very extra special edition of Experimental Brewing with Denny and Drew, live from the 2018 Australian National Homebrew Conference. I'm Denny Kahn. And I'm Drew Beecham. Together we're the authors of Experimental Homebrewing and Homebrew All-Stars, copies of which are available out front, uh, and also the forthcoming, now available for pre-order, Simple Homebrewing. How are you feeling about that, Denny? I'm, like, totally excited, man. After two years, we can actually sell the damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now, between the two of us, we have nearly 40 years of homebrewing experience. I'm the guy known for weird beer and strange ideas. And I'm the guy who's known for questioning the conventional wisdom and coming up with a way to check it out. Now, before we go too far, I want to let you all know that you're going to be served three beers as you're sitting out there. Please don't drink any of them until we tell you. Yeah, I know, man. It's like a test, right? Resist. Yeah. You're going to get to try all three of them eventually, but please wait. Yeah, there's a reason for that. And on today's episode, of course, since we are here in Melbourne, we have to talk to a couple of people who we normally never be able to have the opportunity to talk to. And we're going to start with talking with well, the people who have brought us this party. And then we're going to drop in to talk to some champions and some old farts who know something about beer. <laughs> and then we're going we're gonna to actually talk a little bit about glasses We're going to see what else is up There is a Slido uh, topic available for this So if you want to uh, ask questions via Slido Feel free, we'll get to them as we get to them uh, But in the meanwhile, I think it's time for us to get started We have a couple announcements uh, to do before we get started For those of you who are not in Australia on November 10th, I'll be appearing at Groundbreaker Brewing in Portland, Oregon from noon to 5 p.m. for the release of their St. Denny Double, a uh, gluten-free double that is a damn fine beer. You would never know it's gluten-free, and I guess that's kind of insulting, isn't it? Well, no, actually, if, it, if they don't know it's gluten-free, then it's probably good for them. Yeah. Anyway, it's a great beer, and, uh, you know, what can I say? I'm honored to be sainted. Yeah. And also for uh, listeners both here and uh, online on the podcast format, uh, if you want to go and join the AHA, the AHA is, uh, has a special digital membership. You can buy it via our website. We get a small amount of money back, but it's actually a way for you to get a full membership to the AHA and all the access to all the content, digital energy, and everything else without having to pay these sort of onerous overseas fees. So if you want to join the AHA, and get access to what is really a giant wealth of information, feel free to go to experimentalbrew.com and click on the AHA banner on our website. Okay, I guess it's time to kick things off, huh? Our first guests are two of the organizers of this incredible conference we've been having a great time at. Tons of great information, tons of great beer. We have with us Mr. John Preston and Mr. Andy Davison. Hi, guys. Hey, going? Good day. Thank you so much for putting on this conference, and especially thank you for bringing us over for it. Oh, you're really welcome. It's great to have you over. We so rarely get guests um, from the brewing 
outside brewing world over here, so it's great to have you. The brewing world over here is truly awesome, too, man. So let's, let's talk a little history. How long has this conference been going on? Well, it's 10 years now, so this is the sixth conference. Uh, it's a little bit back in the midst of time. I think my daughter was um, in prep at that time, and now <laughs> she's um, uh, turning 18 and finishing high school. So uh, all of us on the committee have sort of been through that quite a bit. So have you guys been on the organizing committee for all of them? Yeah. There was a, uh, there was a time way back when, when I, I sort of wandered into John's homebrew store and he said, Andy, I'm thinking of starting a conference. Do you, do you, can you want to be involved? And I said yes. Oh, so that was you the, sucker. That was the first mistake, yeah. <laughs> then, then, then the second one was we all got together so that a, a few of the guys that are on the committee now um, and some that aren't with us anymore... Well, they're still with us, but they're not here. <laughs> I was going to say, that's uh, very grim. <laughs> we all a bit burnt out. The conference out, didn't kill dead. them, right? Yeah, that's um, They failed the conference, for, we failed them. Yeah, yeah. got together for the, uh, the first meeting and they said, right, so we need someone that's going to chair this thing. And uh, I was the last one to step back. <laughs> <laughs> you guys seem remarkably sane for having done it too for so many years. With all those acting classes, I think. Um, <laughs> burnt out, I think, is the... Uh... So how many people are here this year for this one? So we've got 190 delegates, uh, plus our sponsors and presenters here. So all up figures around about 230. And you've had a really great panel of presenters, too. There have been some wonderful topics here from some very knowledgeable people. We, we had, had a lot of feedback last couple of years around um, what we were doing with the, the program. And one of the themes that was coming out was people wanted to know more about sour beers. It was a thing that was starting to grow and get momentum over, uh -huh. in, over here. And again, not a lot of experience. So we thought, let's build a program around that as a theme. And uh, that's how we got to where we are today. So some great presenters on sour beers. Um, some great sour beers being presented that we just never would, would be able to taste. So, you know, the rare barrel guys bringing their beers all the way over here. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So tonight is club night, right? Oh, yeah. How many clubs are going to be here? We've got 18 clubs Ooh. coming along. And, uh, Better stop I drinking think now. think it's 280 people in the room. So. So wow. It's, it's the biggest event in home brewing here every two years. Really a fun night. So, yep. And it, it moves around to a different city every year? We've been to Adelaide and Canberra. Yeah. Uh, back here to Melbourne. So this is the fourth time we've run into Melbourne. And it's kind of nice to be home. Um, right. Nice and comfortable. The team here at William Anglis really look after us for well. So, so have yeah. you chosen the city for the next one? Uh, we're still trying to figure that one out. I've got to run <laughs> off to a meeting after this and have a chat to a few people, but yeah. Find out who you can, like, kind of well, sucker into it. Usually our last act here is to uh, ask people to come forward and volunteer. During the, con the conference, ask people to come forward and volunteer to be involved the following time, and so we'll certainly be... Uh, doing that. That's basically how we guarantee to clear the room at the end of the conference. <laughs> well, I, I was going to say, it sounds like the best time to do that is right at the end of club night. Find the person who's had the most to drink and say, do you want to put together the next one? Yeah, yeah. Last, last one in the room runs the conference next year. <laughs> so what else do we need to know about the conference? Is there anything else that people who have never been here should know about it? Well, I think probably the, the other big highlight, apart from club night, is the pairing dinner that we've been running. So last night mm -hmm. was an absolutely fantastic night. I mean, Andy's probably the person who's been the big champion of it over the years, but the main point of difference uh, from all the other sort of beer dinners that are around the place is that it's four champion home brewers from Australia who, um, whose beers are paired with the food from the cooking school at William Anglos. 
Wow. Yeah, and it, it's a hard job for them, right? They're, they're literally home brewers, and we, we kind of insist on the beers that we present on the night being home brewed. So a lot of the people that we ask to brew, they typically have a, a 20-litre brew system, and that means they're brewing three times for us, and in some cases going to the extent of then blending it to make sure that we get a consistent beer for the evening. So there's a lot of effort that goes in, and that's what really makes that pairing dinner unique for us. It's truly home-brewed beers, and it's truly student chefs preparing the meals for us, so it's... It's really grassroots. That is really, really excellent. Mm. Well, thank you once again for bringing us over, for putting on the conference, and for joining us here today, guys. We totally appreciate it, and I really hope I have a chance to come back someday. We hope so, too. Thanks, Thanks for having us on the show. Yep. Right. So we're going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, we're going to be talking to Peter Simon and Barry Cranston, so stick around. Mecca Grade Estate Malt is a craft malt house owned and operated by the Klon family on their beautiful Central Oregon high desert farm. Their eighth generation Oregon farming family grows and malts all of their own specialty grain, creating malts that are rare, remarkable, and bursting with flavor. Malt is the foundation of your beer, so why settle? The best beers deserve Mecca Grade. For more information, please visit MeccaGrade.com. When I'm done brewing, I want to be done brewing, not waiting around for my wort to cool. With the Hydra, the Corny Pillar, and the other great chillers from Jaded, I can be done when I'm done. No more waiting 20 minutes for the wort to cool enough to add whirlpool hops. No more messing with cleaning and sanitizing counterflow or plate chillers. With the super fast immersion chillers from Jaded, you can chill your wort in minutes without all the hassle. Jaded chillers aren't just works of art, they're the fastest, most effective chillers you can buy. Check them out at jadedbrewing.com. And before we get started with Peter and Barry, we have a couple questions that have come in via Slido. So, yep. Drew, go for it. So, don't forget, you can ask us questions via the Slido app. Uh, the first one I'm going to answer is, uh, so can we clap while you're recording, or is that a bad thing? Highly clap. encouraged. Clap. Scream. Cheer. Yeah! yeah. Right. Look at that, world. Somebody likes us. Right. See, now we're going we're gonna to practice this. All right, I want everybody to clap. There He's go. a control freak. Ah, he? look, that was almost a Viking clap. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then the, the other question uh, uh, comes from the audience. Hi. Uh, and it says, uh, Drew, explain, what happened, uh, explain to the listeners what happened to your nose. Uh, listeners can't tell, but the audience here can. Uh, I look like I've been savagely, uh, savagely glassed. 
but what happened was I stepped off the plane here in Melbourne, and the second I stepped off the plane, I got attacked by a drop bear. I just barely dodged. I, I zigged when I should have zagged, but I still survived, so score one for me. That's right. So uh, our next two guests are two of a couple of the uh, best-known brewers here in Australia. We have Peter Simons, who is just a marvelous beer historian, and, uh, and we have Barry Cranston, who was the champion brewer of the Australian Amateur Brewing Championships this year. So, Barry, let's start with you. How long have you been brewing? Ooh, about 21 years, um, a few years in the 80s, but... Uh had four kids under six, and it was the end of that. So it started up again about 97, I think. Right. So how many beers did you enter this year? Uh, in the Nationals, about five beers and one cider. And what were they? What, what styles? Um, dark Mild, uh, Belgian Pale Ale. Um, let me see. Uh, triple, Baltic Porter. Goza. And a Goza. And just a... Normal apple cider. That's, a, that's like a really wide range of styles, man. Do you have one that's a favorite of yours to brew or drink? Oh, several. Vienna lager is wonderful, but it's hard to beat Saison's. I mean, there's so many Saison's you can make with so many variations. I think it's, if you had to brew one beer, it'd have to be Saison because you could make it 4%, 12%, do whatever you want. Barry, I think you're sucking up to Drew here. <laughs> I was just thinking the same thing. I was going to say, Barry, could you be my grandfather? <laughs> and Peter, how about you? Uh, did you enter anything? Uh, no, I, uh, uh, I must give you a candid um, view of competitions. Uh, I'm not good at competitions, but I do value the feedback that I get from the judges because invariably... I've brewed some sort of historical recreation and I want the feedback from the judges. And uh, I got some interesting feedback from the judges um, uh, because I know most of the people for the New South Wales uh, judging that I can see on the score sheets who's, who's picked up on things. And uh, one particular judge had picked up that my um, uh, best bitter had a lot of honey notes. Well... As it should be. It had a lot of invert <laughs> sugar in there. So uh, and that wasn't something that the other judges were picking up on. So uh, I test judges out, not necessarily win. So, so in other words, you are the one who judges the judges. Yeah, I like that idea. That, 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 <laughs> judges, yeah. be careful. Peter's coming for you. Competency check. So uh, Peter gave a great talk yesterday on Cooper's Sparkling Ale Through the Ages with uh, three delicious samples. What made you decide to zero in on that, Peter? Uh, the, the ones to be brewed? or the Just, or the, just the whole topic of... Oh, the whole topic. Oh, wow. How long have you got? Um, <laughs> it, was, um, it was Jamil Zanishas' fault uh, who came to the conference here uh, 10 years ago. And Barry and I both met Jamil uh, up at Holgate in Woodend. And we struck up a bit of a conversation, drank some beer, and uh, Jamil's been a great friend ever since. And he, he was doing the Brewing with Style on the Brewing Network, as yeah, mm-hmm. the rivals. Yeah. <laughs> and um, he asked me to um, talk about um, Australian sparkling, which while I'd, I'd 
drunk it over numerous years. I hadn't really delved into the history. And that, that set off this whole chain process of writing books and, uh, and talking about it. But the most uh, significant change was from two years ago when Dr. Tim Cooper uh, uh, talked to us at the Adelaide conference. I went to speak to him afterwards and asked to look at his archives. And from that, I got to look at uh, primary brewing records, original production logs. The production logs are not recipes. You do have to put a level of interpretation in. And um, that's where the beers came from yesterday. And I have to give great props to Michael, Michael Burren, is he somewhere I expect. Michael in here? Yeah, who, uh, who brewed um, an 1891, a 1927, and a 1975 version. And one thing I would like to ask the audience, if I may, because I forgot to do it yesterday, is I'd just like to know which one you like the most, so perhaps we could do a poll or something and, at some stage. We sure, let's, let's do it. Did you guys all get a chance to try those beers yesterday? Okay, so uh, how many preferred the 1891 version? We have a couple hands going up. Who how many preferred the 1927 version? Yeah, me too. Yeah. And then the other one was what? Uh, 1975. That was 75. Who liked the 75? Oh, and okay. the, the so room that, picks the 75. Yeah, which is the Pride of Ringwood uh, version, which is probably the most closest to the, uh, the current version, which uses Pride of Ringwood. Interesting. Okay, right, thanks for that, guys. What did you think it was going to be? The, the, the stronger, older version? Uh, it's a bit of an acquired taste when you've got 27% sugar in a beer, which is why the, 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 the brewing of the beer is just so important to keep that clean and not make it taste cidery. Uh, it, it's a bit of an acquired taste, that, that level of sugar in a beer. I, I thought, for mine, the 1927 uh, had quite a complex profile, and all three beers, for me, had elements of modern-day Coopers. Uh, you know, a little bit more here in, in one as aspect of it, a little bit less somewhere else. But they were all sort of recognisable. Yeah, they def that's definitely so. You know, you could tell what they were supposed to be in relation to the modern version. Well, and, and just jumping back to Barry, uh, uh, actually, yeah, make sure you get up on the microphone a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, but I'm being told there was a blending at Holdgate that, uh, that happened? Um. Oh, you're well informed. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. So, what was that? You remember when we went there with Gordon? Oh, yes, that's right. Yes. Yeah, I, that one. Yes. yes. <laughs> I, I was driving. I, I, I actually went to bed, so I missed it. So, but uh, Peter and um, Gordon were up there. No, uh, uh, um, th this would be A and H C three. Uh, three? Uh, ten. Ten. Whichever one that one was. Uh, uh, Gordon, Gordon Strong, who a lot of you may may know, um, he was he was like the Denian Drew of that particular year, uh, speaking <laughs> to the conference. Uh, and uh, we did a road trip from from Sydney, uh, to which Barry was driving, which I think the rest of us were internally grateful. And we went to Canberra. Uh, that's another story in itself. But to deal with Beechworth, uh, Temptress, who's had Temptress? Yeah, Holgate. At Holgate. Absolutely uh, wonderful beer, and um, it got late in the evening when Barry, our, our chauffeur, had to go to bed, and I think it was the guy behind the bar who suggested a nice scoop of vanilla ice cream in the Temptress would go down well for dessert, and it certainly did, and we had several of those. 
Probably out of that trip and the whole conference, that was the biggest headache I had the following morning. Absolutely. <laughs> but that, I, I would recommend some of the big stouts and some of the big porters, good quality vanilla ice cream. Alternatively, a nice bit of 70% cocoa-type chocolate just on the tongue when you're drinking it. Just really good dessert. Yeah, we, we have a couple of beer bars in California that do, as a dessert, a a beer float with some big like Russian Imperial stout type of idea with yeah, good vanilla. It's an, it's an awesome dessert. If you've never done that, that's a much better idea than the old college favorite of beer and Cheerios. <laughs> God, that sounds disgusting. Sounds great when you're hung over and then it is disgusting. It sounds nearly as bad as like a Northeast IPA. <laughs> I've got a, I've got a, I'm going to get mail about that one, I guarantee No, 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 there's nothing to apologize for then. Thank um, you. Can, <laughs> a man can, of taste and refinement, Peter. Could, could, I, could I ask Barry a couple of questions? Of course, Absolutely. please do. Barry, yes. how many times have you been champion brewer uh, of Australia? Three. Three. Mm. <laughs> how many times has it been given out? When, when was the first competition you, that you uh, uh, reached the Nationals in? What year was that? Uh, I got a third place with a Vienna about 1999, I think. So, so it's about probably 20 years ago, so about 90. It was a lot younger then. <laughs> <laughs> Weren't we all? I think the Vienna is virtually the same now as it was then, so it hasn't changed much. Had any success with it since? Different times. I think I've got a... Uh, a, a different competition, but it got best of show a, a few weeks ago. So it's still going well. So I, I love it. So I think if you love your beer, they tend to go well. And and could you tell me the the secret of making uh, a good cider that managed to get through the New South Wales competition? Uh, well, you have to I have to see my um, supplier, Mang- Mangrove Jacks, for that. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> So do you actually use a cider yeast or is it uh, I ale? did use, a, uh, I think, White Lab cider yeast and I did kind of filter the water and all that type of thing. But it's, it's just a cider that my uh, wife and daughters love. So that's what I make and I put it in at the last moment and, and there it was. So. Is, is it a dry cider or do you sweeten semi-dry, it? Semi-dry. Semi-dry? Do you have yeah. to back sweeten it or something? No. Oh, you put a bit of sweetener at the end, but um, it's just a straight... Kit cider, but um, got a lot, lot more taste than many commercial ciders. Anyway, certainly the bigger commercial ciders. And uh, and uh, so your Vienna one. Yes. What what else won? Well, Vienna that was a different competition, Sorry. but this time it was a dark mild Baltic porter and a goza. Ah. And of those three, what are the, which one is the one that you're like the most proud about? Would would the most surprise is the goza, but. Uh, uh, the second one I made. Um, the Baltic Porter, I think. I mean, that's about two years old. I think that's uh, one of the major ingredients of that is patience and time. So it just needs that age. I, and I remember while we were there at the judging, there, there were people who were surprised at, like, the number of Baltic Porters that, that actually ended up because they're like, it's not a commercial style here. Um, I think it's a beautiful style. I mean, it's a Mostly, it should be a lager. It's easy, you know, it's a bit smoother uh, than say a Russian Imperial Stout or a, a, a normal 
say robust porter, and it's uh, it can you can drink it young, you can drink it when it's old, and it's still just a beautiful style of beer that should be made more often. There we go. So, Peter, let's talk about your books here for a minute. You have two books out now. I do. I um, uh, I wrote Bronze Brews. Uh, took uh, I don't know. Well, you, you guys are seasoned authors compared to me. I'd, I'd written a lot, but mostly uh, work-related stuff, which was reports and whatever, and that didn't actually translate too well into writing a book where you need to get things to flow a bit more. So it did take me a fair while to, to write Bronze Brews, and I reformatted it three times, and I reckon that put me back about a year <laughs> because I... I I was learning as I was going. It, 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 it didn't, the first cut of it didn't scan well, and it was over a thousand pages. Uh, <laughs> oh my. Uh, how, how many would read a thousand page beer book? Come on, put your hands up. Of course you would. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see any hands. The, um, uh, so I, I, I picked on a pattern that, that, that I uh, hoped would work, and uh, uh, I do the print on demand thing because uh, that makes it quite accessible, and I'm I'm always surprised in the stats because I use uh, Lulu as the on-demand publisher, which is based in the States, and there's a lot of US-based sales. And I have a feeling, depending on the exchange rate, it might have been, before they put the GST on things, uh, could have been a bit cheaper, so a lot of cheapskate Australians were <laughs> buying from the US store. But whatever, it, um, uh, it really was about uh, trying to document something that uh, I felt was missing from, from the Australian beer scene. And that was not corporate history, but actually what about the beer, what about the, the actual uh, brewers, bit of context with the social events of the time. And then that, that morphed into um, six o'clock brews, particularly with having the access to, to Coopers uh, and finding some more beers from around the country. The biggest hole that I have is Melbourne. Is that quite the right expression? No, Melbourne is not a hole. <laughs> the biggest gap in my knowledge <laughs> is Melbourne because I've, I've not managed to find any primary records here yet. But we'll see. Might be a third book in, in the Australian series. I'm working on a... Um, uh, it'll be British and Irish brews will be the next book at some time next year. I'm... Working my way through, and a few guys from the Extra Spectral Brewers Club, who I can see in the audience, uh, they've got some work to do in the next six months. I have quite a few recipes that need to be uh, uh, proven so we can put them in the book. Yeah, I, I think that's Peter saying, Brew, damn you, brew. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds like you got your work cut out for you. Yeah, yeah, I've got a bit to do over the next uh, little while, yeah. See, we need, uh, we need to do something like that with America, but the problem is, American brewing archives, I don't think, are anywhere near the same shape. And, and we're certainly not going to do it because we just did three books in a row without a break. So don't look for another one from us anytime soon. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Uh, is there anything else we need to cover, Drew? I don't know. I think we, I think we need beer. We, we need beer? Somebody bring us some beers. <laughs> uh, didn't you say we weren't allowed to drink the beer? No, no, no. no oh, no, you just want beer. beer. Yeah. yeah. Oh, beer. Beer, 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 beer. beer. All right, well, uh, uh, guys, any, any questions uh, for Peter or for Barry? You can shout them out if you don't want to put them on Slido. Yeah. Oh, there's one back here. All right. Uh, how many 
So the question was, how many Irish breweries have you managed to find out about? One. <laughs> Would you like to know which one? Let me guess. <laughs> Go on. Guess. Does it start with a G? No. Oh. All right. Next guess. Murphy's. Murphy's? I spent um, one whole day in the archives of the University of Cork photographing like mad um, Murphy's brewing records and uh, I've brewed a couple of trial batches so far and uh, needs more work, but they're, they're not your... Uh, based on the New South Wales competition feedback, they don't quite fit any of the current style guidelines. They're considerably more hoppy. Uh, so, yeah. So that's a work in progress, yeah. So basically what you do is you research the, the production records and then try and recreate the recipes based on that? Yeah, I, I, it, it's posed a lot of difficulties because, and this is not a slur against the Irish, the, the, the Irish had, had a different set of uh, units of measurement, which has taken me a long while to actually work out from looking at other sources, uh, they were actually, uh, usually you get malt in bushels or quarters, and in, in Ireland you were getting the malt in barrels. Well, what's in a barrel? <laughs> you know, it's a bit like what's in a quarter, it depends, because it, it's a volumetric measurement. So I, I think I've worked that out now, and I'm, that's what I need, need to finish off conversion. Yeah, I'm, I'm just happy to know that my ancestors are continuing to confound people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they certainly did that. It, 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 it has taken a while to, um, uh, to work out the schema, if you like. Yeah. Well, not just your ancestors. I've heard people say, what the hell is Drew all about? I'm just continuing a proud family tradition. That's right. I hope this beer isn't another sour. <laughs> it doesn't seem too sour. It's a little brisk. It's not like antacid sour. Oh, no, not more sour. Give me a bloody beer that tastes like a beer, please. <laughs> All right, any other questions for, for Peter or Barry before we get you guys on your merry way? No? Going once? Yeah, we're not wanted, so we'll go. Yeah, yeah, yeah we, we can take a hint. <laughs> well, hey, guys, thank you so much for taking, uh, taking a couple minutes here and uh, talking with us. And uh, good, uh, Peter, good luck with the books and the research. And Barry, good luck with your winning streak. Yeah, man. Well, we'll hear it again next year. Uh, making beer is the thing. If you're making beer, you're happy. So win or lose. And look at this. <laughs> Andy brings Peter a beer-flavored beer. Service right. with a smile. That's right. We're going to take a quick break here, play some music, and when we come back, we're going to be talking to Dr. Evan Evans about how glassware influences the beer that you're drinking. So stick around. We're going to be right back. Yakima Chief Hops, formerly known as YCH Hops, is a 100% grower-owned global hop supplier located in the Pacific Northwest with a mission to connect family hop farms to the world's finest brewers. Yakima Chief Hops is thrilled about the release of their new innovative product, Cryo Hops, to both commercial and home brewers, providing intense hop flavor and aroma, reduced vegetal flavors, and increased brew house yield. Visit yakimachief.com to learn more. Are you 
Are you having trouble finding enough time to homebrew and give attention to the other important things in your life? Is your newest brewed IPA experiment coming at the expense of other obligations? Don't neglect partner or pet. Brew with the Genesis Fermenter. Learn why at genesisfermenter.com and find them wherever Brewcraft USA products are sold. you all for sticking around both out there in podcast land and here in the auditorium and i want to remind all of you in the room that we're going to be doing a triangle tasting very very soon so stick around yeah people are holding out their hands for beer so but before we do that we are going to talk to our next guest dr evan evans who i had the pleasure of meeting recently (laughs) oh nice Evan did a great presentation yesterday on uh, mashing parameters and how they affect your beer, but that's like a little too hardcore informational for us. So we're going to talk about the other topic that he presented on here, which is how beer glassware affects your beer. Evan, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks very much there, Danny. Um, Yes, I mean, if you're going to the effort as a home brewer or even as a craft brewer or a big brewer, you uh, want to see that effort fully appreciated, and the way to do that is to pour it into a glass. If you pour it in, particularly a bit of foam, you're going to get uh, the aromas coming out. You're going to see it as uh, the Pope of Foam, uh, Professor Bramf- Charlie Banfield says, uh, we drink with our eyes. Well, uh, so 
I mean, we have in front of you three different glasses of three different shapes. So right, and for those of you listening, uh, Evan sent us pictures of a bunch of different glasses, and those will be on the website so you can check them out and see what we're talking about. So we've got what, a, a, a tool? A campy, ga- a, a campy glass okay. for Ogampe from uh, China. A, uh, a chalice, a uh, very heavy, almost a fighting glass from West Mile, and a more delicate and very classy uh, Carmelite triple with fleur-de-lis uh, frosted on glass. Yeah, kind of a big tulip, but still with a big nose. Mm. So, I mean, and I know earlier in your talk you were, you were showing people the Sam Adams glass, which you know, a lot of people started to pay attention yeah, to. Yeah, I think the Sam Adams glass is a pretty clever bit of uh, design work. I think uh, Rebecca Newman and uh, the uh, Boston people and uh, the, the glassmaker did an absolutely brilliant glass. It's a utilitarian Glass, I think it works pretty much for everything, and it combines components of all of these three glasses we've got on the bench. Well, and to me, I mean, I, I love glassware. In fact, my wife has forced me to stop collecting glassware. <laughs> and every time I show up to any beer event, she's like, you're coming back with a glass, aren't you? And yes. Let me just interrupt you here. I just want to remind everybody, when you get these beers, please resist drinking them. You'll get to do that in just a couple minutes. Um, but... You know, she takes a look at the, all the glassware, and I know a lot of people will take a look at the, the, these different glasses that are out there and go, why does it matter? You know, I mean, to me, it's it, a glass is a glass, it's a delivery device, and, and it's hitting your tongue. Well, I think the thing is that, um, obviously, you brew different beers because they taste differently, uh, and likewise, uh, you use different glasses because of the styles of the beers that have been brewed. Those glasses actually um, match the styles of beers. I mean, the Belgians... Oh, they're, they're the masters of this. And uh, I think about 25 years ago, I saw uh, Professor Freddie DeVoe uh, give a talk on uh, uh, how flavour was uh, impacted by glassware. Um, it was a lecture given in French and it was translated, but it was absolutely riveting. And I still remember it this start to this day. Well, and so what are some of the what are some of the basic factors? Well, the foam obviously is a is a huge factor. Um, the foam is quite hydrophobic, so I mean, I think anybody who's sucked on a bit of foam would uh, suggest that it tends to be a little bitter mm-hmm. or a bit more bitter than the beer, uh, and that's because the foam is hydrophobic. The hops are hydrophobic, so they go to it. Whereas if you have an ale which tends not to have quite so much foam as you might perhaps put in this uh, chalice glass from West Mile, beautiful crystal glass. Um, it tends not to have much foam. It tends to accentuate the uh, more hydrophilic or water-loving flavours that then come to your nose and also to your palate uh, when, you, when you drink from it. And then I know a lot of people have talked about, like, bowl shape and, you know, where your nose ends up and, like, you know, mm. oh, yeah, that concentrates the aroma. That. Well, that's right. I mean, obviously the tulip glass is a bit like a brandy balloon in many respects. Uh, you have to stick your nose straight into, right into them to uh, be able to drink from them. Um, other glasses have got uh, lips with certain geometries and that directs the uh, beer to various parts of your palate uh, and that can accentuate certain, pal- uh, certain flavours. This West Mile glass, for instance, is very heavy. I mean, you, know, oh, you could fight yeah. with it. It's a, it's a pretty heavy, <laughs> heavy glass, crystal. Now... Um, that keeps cool, so the beer won't warm up quite so quickly. And that's pretty smart if you think about it. You know, you think about some of these, uh, you know, Trappist doubles and triples. They're pretty heavy beer. They're, they're good beer. They're fighting beers. They're, they're up around 9, 10, 11 percent. You don't want to, you, you don't want to be chugging those. You want to be sipping them, and you want them to keep at a nice temperature. That's what this glassware does. Yeah, you know, f- uh, function, uh, form and function. So. 
I have to admit that West Mall Triple and Carmelite Triple are two of my favorite beers in the entire world. If I switched and put like a, a West Mall in a Carmelite glass and Carmelite in a West Mall glass, am I going to be noticing any differences in the way that beer presents itself um, to me? I think you might lo- you might lack a little bit. I mean, for the particularly for the Trappist beers, uh, unlike say more, some of the more commercial beers in Belgium, um, they pick those sorts of glasses uh, to fit their beers, whereas the marketing departments have a little bit more to say uh, at, uh, say, some of the big, you know, Stella or somewhere like right. that. So when you're at home, do you have a favourite beer glass you use or do you switch glasses? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I go with a Sam Adams glass every day. You know, that's uh, interesting. That's what we use at my house, too. Mm. I mean, you know, my wife and I both, when we go to grab a beer, we grab the Sam Adams glass. Yeah, I think, I think they nailed it. You know, all credit to Rebecca and the team at Boston. Uh, they really did a great job. And I, I think Randy had some input on that, too, didn't he? Sorry? Didn't Randy Mosher have some input I think on that? there was a whole team. I think Rebecca headed it up, and then I can't remember the glassmaker who made it. Right. There was a, a big interaction, a lot of testing. I think um, Riddle. Riddle, that's right. It's Riddle. Yep, yeah, you're correct. Um, you know, that, and, and then there was other guys at Boston as well that had a fair um, slug into that. So, it, it, you know, I don't, I don't care who designed it. They all deserve, you know, top, top uh, plaudits. Well, and just a quick show of hands out there in the audience. How many of you have a favorite beer glass? Uh, uh, good stuff. Yeah, uh, there's there's almost some sort of uh, romantic notion attached to it. I think like some bit of comfort in a way. Yeah, well, and the other thing is, I like drinking with women, be it my wife or other friends and so forth. And I think if you've got your beer in a glass, that attracts girls. Uh, they tend <laughs> they tend not well, and they have their beer in their glass. Um, it's not so, usually they're not so large. They're you know usually around the three hundred mil, three hundred and fifty mil mark. They've got their their they're beautifully made, designed, branded. It just ticks all the boxes for a you know a smart, sophisticated gal. <laughs> well, you know, plus it beats the hell out of drinking it out of a bottle, taste wise too. Yeah, or out of a you know a half pint or something awful like that. All those shaker glasses oh, yeah. they seem to like in the States. Uh, no, they They're bomb-proof. That's about the only thing I think's uh, good about them. Yeah, I was going to say, the, the reason for the American cheater pint is uh, just for stackability and, and indestructibility. Mm. Yeah, otherwise it does nothing for the beer. Mm. It also makes a pretty good cocktail mixer, I will say that too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so any, uh, what about like things like, you said earlier about like the the thickness of the West Mall, mm. you know, kind of holding on to that, some of that temperature. But I know, like, when I was first getting into beverages, the thing that everybody sort of went on and on and on about, like, oh, quality glass is a thin glass, you know, like that, those thin edges. You know, that's, that's the sign of a good glass. Look, I think it's form and function. Um, I mean, the, 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 the Carmelite Triple is definitely one of those thin sort of glasses. Um, it's, it's a beautiful class, extra classy glass. The Westmall is is quite heavy. It's a chalice, you know. If you think about the Da Vinci Code, it's you know the the, the female side of things. So one way or another, you're, you're going to be drinking with a female. Um, <laughs> that sort of that sort of thing. Um, look, and and the other thing is that the type the the uh, type of glass also, uh, mm-hmm. Freddie said, was uh, quite important. Uh, I think they come into the crystal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the presentation. And, and as I said, uh, as Charlie always harps on, you, we, we drink with our eyes. That's 
that presentation is part of our expectations, part of what we get out of our beer. So when we, uh, when we put so much effort into it, it's uh, silly not to, uh, not to put it into a decent glass. So what are your feelings about frosted beer glasses, like keeping them in the freezer and then pulling them out to use? Um, depends on the beer, I think. Yeah? yeah. So what I beer think, would that I think be they, I think they don't recommend you put them in the freezer. Uh, the fridge is not a bad spot. Um, in America, there are a lot of places and people who keep them in the freezer and pull them out, and these are generally the people who are drinking Corona. Yeah. Well, I've, seen, I've seen in England, you know, they'd have extra cold beers, you know, for Guinness and Stella and things like that, and they go... Why? If you go, why? <laughs> Extra why? gold is for less flavor. Exactly, yeah. I mean, you need the warmth. I mean, particularly the Belgian beers, you need them to be up around the, you know, 7, 8, 10 degree mm-hmm. mark. So you, the flavors are evolved and the foam is allowed to um, direct them towards your nose so you can, so you can taste them. So, yeah, I, it's, a, it's a weird thing. I, I would never put them in the freezer. Um, generally, I think so, like some of the better beer bars and uh, particularly the beer, uh, Belgian beer cafes here, you know, they give their, wash, their, their glasses right. a wash and a bit of uh, cold water that just sort of takes the edge off them and then the beer finishes it off. Well, and uh, I think uh, just the, I, in your talk, one of the things that you pointed out was that it was important to have your beer glasses clean. Absolutely. And I've always been taught that beer glass clean is different than just clean because mm-hmm. it means something. So how, how do you get... Your glasses. Well, I, I just put them in the well. The the uh, the the the, car, the uh, Carmelite triple. I hand wash. That's delicate. Um, the Sam Adams glass. It always goes into the dishwasher. But the dishwasher detergent that I use is basically um, caustic or, or hydroxide. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing the brewers use to CIP the uh, brewery. As long as it's washed out with a lot of uh, water, all, it's all good. The thing you need to avoid is the uh, drying agents. Uh, right. which will have a, something that will break the surface tension, and that's, that really nails uh, foam as well. One thing I've learned about is the salt scrub. Do you, do you use that where you no. get your glass just damp, you put in some coarse salt and kind of wipe it around to really clean your glass? I suppose it's just a, a, friction, a, you know, it's a, a, a friction agent like yeah. sandpaper or something like that. Yeah, I haven't I, heard that one. Yeah, that's kind of it, and I, I have discovered that that works really, really well. Yeah, yeah, if you don't if you don't have the ability to get like caustic detergent for clean salt, actually works pretty well. And we did have a uh, question coming on Slido: uh, How does glass geometry affect head retention? Well, obviously, the um, thinner the glass, or the thinner the aperture of the, or the body of the glass where the foam is, um, the more likely it is to hang onto the side, and the less likely it is to collapse. So, in the West Mile glass, you'd expect, which is uh, an open chalice, mm-hmm. uh, you'd expect that to um, you'd expect that to collapse uh, more quickly, potentially. Although the uh, thickness of the glass, and if it's cold, um, temperature, the, the, the lower the temperature, the less quickly the foam will, uh, will collapse, of, of course. So something like the Carmelite glass, it's more of a flute, kind of what will hold the foam better. Well, yeah, it, it does. And, and particularly when you first, you first fill the glass, you, your foam's sort of up in this uh, sort of fluted part, uh, and therefore... The, um, uh, the the foam will hang quite well there, and I think naturally it's quite a a, a, a foam stable uh, beer anyway. Uh, it's got all the three grains and so forth in it. So uh, and and the way they brew it, I mean the Belgians they're masters. We we, we really have to bow down and uh, <laughs> and give them praise. They're good guys. 
There we go. And uh, the other question that came in on Slido is uh, from Anonymous. Can I drink my beer yet? No. Uh, if you're talking about the three beers in front of you, no, just a minute. Just <laughs> be patient. Patience is a virtue, right? <laughs> Remember, there's the marshmallow test out there that showed that if people could, uh, could ignore the marshmallow, they were uh, going to make better decisions later in life. Ignore the beer for now. I've never been able to ignore the marshmallow, Drew. There we go. All right. Well, any, any last glass thoughts that, that the people should know, both our listeners and the audience here? Um, just, just make sure you pour your beer out into a, uh, into a good glass, select the one that fits you, uh, it will suit you. Um, if you're, uh, brewing different, uh, types of beer props, what you need is, uh, three different sorts of glass, something that's, uh, cylindrical, more for the pills, uh, for the colch, those sorts of things. A chalice probably works pretty well for your ales and, uh, some of your darker beers, uh, and then uh, a tulip, like the, cam- the triple carmelite glass, is uh, you know, very good for your aromatic beers. I presume it would probably work pretty well for a, uh, an IPA or something like that too, where you're wanting to smell that hop aroma. Right. I, I think it's more important that, you, that my wife understands that I need 50 different types of products. <laughs> <laughs> I'll drink to that. <laughs> Dr. Evan Evans, it's been a pleasure to meet you, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Danny and Drew. When we come back, it will finally be time to drink those beers and do the triangle test, and we'll be talking to Helen Hewson, who actually brewed the beers for us today. So stick around. We're going to be right back. Autumn has arrived, and so has the opportunity to brew new seasonal styles. Yeast's robust and ruddy private collection offers a fresh pairing of strains for cooler days and palates seeking more body and complexity without compromising approachability. 2782 Staropragg Lager produces exceptional malt-forward German and Bohemian-style lagers. 1581 Belgian Stout will complement the ester-forward strong ales and other specialty styles. And 9097 Old Ale Blend brings English heritage to your glass with a blend of Saccharomyces and a little Britannomyces to emulate traditional British strong ales and barley wines. These strains are available October through December at your local homebrew shop. Find out more about which styles pair best with these strains at whyeastlab.com. Explore the history of tart, fruity, and refreshing Goza-style beer with the latest book from Brewer's Publication, Goza, Brewing a Classic German Beer for the Modern Era. Written by award-winning veteran brewer Fal Allen, Goza includes 27 recipes including Sea Quench Sour from Dogfish Head Craft Brewery and Ruben Brewer's 2017 Great American Beer Festival gold medal winning Goza. Right now, Brewers Publications is giving experimental homebrewing listeners a discount on Goza. Go to brewerspublications.com and use code EXPERIMENTAL to take 20% off Goza. That's right, you'll save 20% when you use code EXPERIMENTAL at brewerspublications.com. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, 
easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth, and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. are back and it is just about beer 30 everybody so stand by and before we get too deep into this uh we have two anonymous questions now can i drink my beer dear god let me drink my beer please soon soon hang i bet i know where these came 30 from. 30 seconds too. 30 seconds <laughs> all right so what we have done here today is we have set up a triangle test uh, among some beers to test a particular technique and we're not going to tell you anything about it. And also, remember that we are sneaky. We have been known to give people three beers, and they were all the same. Now, I'm not saying we did that this time, but just remember to use your senses and drink critically. So what we want you to do now is try these beers and tell, decide if one is different and which one that is. And in the meantime, we're going to say hello to Helen. Hello, Helen. Hi, Denny. Hi, Drew. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to brew. I've been drinking to brew these beers. And Drew and I have no idea which is which. So we're going to be doing this, too. So we will be made to look like fools. Yeah, so the, the best part about a triangle test is it's a difficult enough uh, thing to attempt to pull off that you're probably going to be wrong. And don't feel bad about it. Yeah. Okay. So I'm trying these beers. Oh, God, this is going to be tough. <laughs> so dead air is always a wonderful thing to have on, yeah. uh, on the radio. It, what we have in front of us is uh, three darkish beers. Uh, and, I mean, we can tell there's a lot going on with them. Uh, that's about all I'm going to say, but uh, this is kind of uh, one I'm going to say all three of these are delicious. So thank yeah, you. I wanted to say that, too. You did a great job, Helen. Thank you. Wow. All right. Anybody starting to form an opinion yet? Are they all the same? Is one different? Are all three different from each other? 
Everybody, everybody ready to vote here? You made up your mind? Okay. All right. If you're, if, when we do this, uh, just to avoid coloring the crowd, uh, what we want to do is uh, everybody close your eyes. Pretend that this is nap time. All right? When we, when we, and so as you're ready, uh, let's go ahead and let's get a show of hands. Uh, for close the, your eyes so you can't see how everybody else is voting. Yep. Uh, let's get a show of hands for the number of people who thought that sample A was the different sample. So, hey, somebody who poured these, how, does, how do the colors relate to A, B, and C? Okay. All right. So, how many, how many people think, uh, again, close your eyes, how many people think the first sample, which was the clear sample, uh, is the different beer? Okay, so we have, what, one, two, three, four, five, six? Seven. Seven. All right, so seven votes for, you better write that down, uh, seven votes for uh, the clear sample being the different one. Can I write on your phone? Sure. Uh, how many people think the blue sample was the different one? Eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. All right. 16 votes. And then finally, how many people think that the black sample is the different one? All right. Lots. 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34. All right. 34 votes there. That is definitely the uh, preference and before we do the big reveal, let's have Helen tell us about the beers. Uh, I was asked to uh, brew two different beers uh, by, for Drew and Denny as part of a conference, and uh, I can reveal what I actually did, did yeah, with them. Go ahead. Uh, so uh, I was provided with a Swartz beer recipe, and one I just had all the grain and uh, um, just did a single mash, and... For the other, I steeped the dark grain on the side and added uh, the, the tea at the um, uh, at the end. At the start, sorry, at the start of the um, the boy. Oh no, yeah, boy. Yeah. Yeah. I did. I so the, the whole the whole worry here, or the whole question is, yeah, you, know, you see a lot of people like, for instance, Gordon Strong uh, offers this advice if you want to make a smoother dark beer, that instead of mashing the dark grains with your uh, with your full mash. You mash them on the side or you put them in at the end of the mash and then sparge. So in this particular case, the question was, can tasters reliably tell the difference between two beers that have been mashed either full with all the dark grains, in theory being more uh, acidic, more acrid, or with the mash being capped or uh, colored with a side steep and therefore being smoother in theory. So. Right. Right. So now the big reveal. Do you know which was which? I know which was which because I was told. <laughs> <laughs> so which was the different beer? Uh, it was Black Stripe. Hey! Was that C? Yes, yes. C. Yes. C all right. Good job, all you people out there. Okay. So now let's get a show of hands out there. How many people think that the Black Stripe beer was the one that had... Uh, the full mash, you know, all the dark grains together in the mash. 
So how many people think it was that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. All right, how many people think it was the, the opposite way around? It was the side mash. All right, and that looks like that is the, the winner's choice there for people. Helen? The winner's choice. Ah, there yeah. we go. All right. So what we have kind of said here is that it appears that steeping the dark grains separately or capping the mash with them, either one, will make a noticeable difference in the quality of the beer. Not, not better or worse, but changed. And I don't know about the rest of you, but I found that the sample with the side mash was much smoother tasting, you know, and, and the, the chocolate flavor was not nearly as sharp. How do you do, Peter? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with the majority. You picked it, uh, yeah. I, I just really picked it that it, it didn't have such a dry finish. Right. The other two were very dry and finished. Exactly. Yeah, this one's got a head on it. <laughs> I, noticed, I noticed that too. The one with the side mash had a much better foam retention than the other two. So, mm-hmm. so going back and, and tasting these, now that you know the difference, are you, are, you, are you now detecting that that third one is the different one? The black stripe? Well, as long as you actually still have some beer. Uh, I mean, to me, like, you know, once you, once you hear the results of a triangle test like this and you actually, oh, that's the different one, you go back and you can, you can, you can spot it. However, the problem is, is that that's actually your brain possibly trying to fool yourself. Right. So let's, let's do this way. Which beer did you prefer? Who preferred, liked better, the beer with the full mash? Yeah. So I assume that uh, I assume that the rest of you then preferred the beer with the just side on, mash, the, uh, no, the chill, smoother one. Chill, well, how many, how many chill, people uh, preferred the, both of uh, them because the they finally got to drink them? Um, <laughs> yeah, I knew these guys would. Don't chill. <laughs> particularly if you don't you know, and to, this really jives with my own uh, experiences. Uh, uh, and I had uh, been trying to, to make a good porter that I really liked for years, and I kept and trying to go smoother and smoother and smoother, doing things like this. Yeah, and David here says the steeped beer was definitely smoother, but also lost much of the coffee and chocolate character that those grains contribute. And David, that's a, wherever you are, that's exactly what I found in my own beers. Uh, less, I went so less, far just, trying like, to smooth them out that yeah. the dark beers yeah. almost became yeah. insipid. Yeah. And I went back to even like adding just a touch of roast barley to some of them because some of them needed the bite. But the bottom line is that this is a really good technique that you can use to fine-tune a recipe depending on what it is that you're going for. And I would argue for a beer like a Schwartz beer, which I normally in Germany, a Schwartz beer, a lot of them are really effectively colored pilsners. They have uh, cinnamar added to them or some other color extract. So to me, if with a Schwartz beer, you want that smoother, that smoother bitter. So actually getting rid of the coffee and chocolate flavors, I think actually works well. Um, we had a, an anonymous question come in here. Uh, it said, did you crush the steeped grain finer than usual? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> she was drinking while she brewed. <laughs> no, I, uh, I, um, the grain was, um, crushed for me, uh, by ah. grain and grape and, I usually get my grain um, double milled um, because I do brew in a bag, uh-huh. and uh, so it's very, very rustic style of brewing. So, I bet I just can't remember. I probably asked for it to be double milled because that's just what I do. 
But, uh, but the other malt would have been double milled as yes, well. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Right. So, so these were all brew-in-a-bag beers, right? Yes. Okay, great. great. Well, and I guess the question out of today is, or earlier talk, were these no-chill beers or were these chilled? No-chill. Uh-huh. Yeah. See, I'm now even more sold than I was before. <laughs> uh, dang, Aussies, you're going so, to make us do this. Again, for all of you out there in podcast land, we were uh, we were uh, talking about no chill beers earlier today, and almost everybody here in the room at the conference does no chill, and it's one of those things I've been thinking about doing, and I'm convinced now. How about you? Yeah, well, I definitely, definitely think I need to give it a shot. Well, in Pasadena, of course, no chill means it'll take like two weeks to cool down. Yeah. <laughs> for, for the record, my garage gets up to 45C, so yeah, it, it, it'd take a while. So, Helen, now that you've done this experience, you know, do you think that you would use this steeping technique? I already have. So yeah, if, yeah. I, if I brew um, like something like a Russian imperial stout or even just a normal stout, I'll steep the grain on the side because I think it just leads to a, a smoother beer that's actually much more drinkable quicker. We have a question over here from Evan who left his beers up here. Yeah. Okay. Well, and while, while that's coming through, actually, all right, Evan? Okay, so it, it, hold on, let's make sure I have that correct. So you're saying with no chill, more precipitate, and we have to adjust and worry about that. Uh, less, less precipitate. Oh, less precipitate, yeah, of course, because sure. you're not chilling fast, so you don't get right. a cold break. No, no cold break, yeah. yeah. And the other, the other thing that someone mentioned today in relation to no chill is forget about late hop additions because they're going to just add a lot of bitterness as the beer cools down. So what you might normally do is a flame-out or whirlpool addition, just put in as dry hops, and that makes a lot of sense to me. And we had one other Slido question come in. Uh, what other grains would this technique work with? Uh, that's from Adam. Um, obviously, any of the roast smalts, the black patents, anything dark. I would also argue that you could probably do this with any of the darker crystals as yeah, well. Yeah, I, I think so. That. Uh, Marianne Gruber at Brees many years ago talked about doing that with darker crystal. And actually, Dr. George Fix, if any of you are old enough to remember George Fix, uh, George was a proponent of even uh, steeping Munich and adding that as, as uh, you know, the steeped liquid. I think that might be a bridge too far. Um, <laughs> so, I'm, I'm old enough to remember. I know. But, uh, so, Helen, any, any other thoughts on this experiment or your brewing experience? Um, I really enjoyed it. I was uh, a little bit... Um, um, well, there was some trepidation because, of course, I was brewing for you, for you guys and uh, I didn't want a shit beer um, or an infected beer or, you know, something that tasted really, really off. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed it and it was good to be able to just do a side-by-side because, um, yeah, it, and, and to, well, I wasn't quite blind in, in the tasting, but to see the differences. And, uh, and it was, it's always really, um, it's great to, um, you know, really play with people's perceptions um, because, yeah, I think we all think we know a little bit too much. So it's good. All right, can I, can I get a show of hands real quick? Uh, from the audience, uh, how many people would say that uh, Helen indeed did not brew shit beer? <laughs> it's unanimous. 
Helen, thank you so much for the time and effort to make these beers. They were delicious, and I think that we all really learned something from them. Thank you very much for the opportunity to do it. So uh, we normally end the show with some questions and answers. So are there any questions out there that we can, uh, we can take from you guys to uh, hopefully uh, give you some not-shit answers? All right. No? No? Going once, going twice on any other questions that, that remain in the audience? Uh, that's a fine question. Where are we at? We're in the middle of the World Series here, so Drew has to check his phone to see how Boston's doing. Yeah, I've had to stay on Wi-Fi the whole time. Last time I knew, the Dodgers were up one run, which is bad. Come here, you. Uh, Boston is still up one run on the top of the eighth. Uh, one's one nothing. All right, Boston. No, uh, oh, no, no. No, that's L.A. that's up one. Uh, sorry, oh. I misspoke. L.A. is up one run. Oh. Boston needs to get two. Come on, buddy. Okay, that's right. All right, and uh, we did have another Slido question come in uh, from an uh, anonymous who said, uh, could you just use less roasted malts and mash as normal to achieve the same result as steeping? Uh, well, yeah, but you're going to miss out on the color. Well, I, and not in my experience. Yeah. If, if you use less roasted malts, uh, you're going to be getting less flavor. Yeah. So to me, it's like this is the way to, to keep the flavor but smooth out the, the bite, I guess. Mm -hmm. So there you go. So we, we both say no. <laughs> oh, there's another one, huh? Uh, oh, and uh, yeah, the, another question. Uh, uh, how many countries from uh, Magro comes in? Uh, how many countries play in the World Series? Two. <laughs> oh, that's right. U.S. and Canada. U.S. and Canada, buddy. That's right. Yes, it's, yes, damn it. It's a World Series. It may be a North American world, but hey, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. We're going to get out of here. But before we go, we want to really thank John Preston of Grain and Grape, Andy Davison, and all of the great people who put on this conference for giving us a chance to talk here. Let's give them all a big, warm round of applause. Thank you all for listening to Experimental Brewing. You can catch all of our latest adventures and writings by going to our website, experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget that you can follow us on Twitter, where we're at EXP Brewing. We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, and whatever new social media platform the kids are trying these days. I hang out mainly on the AHA forum, but you can find me on tons of different beer brewing forums. Drew hangs out on the homebrewing subreddit and the Slack homebrew channel. Don't forget, you can always email us at experimentalbrew.com if you want to rant and rave. If you want to get a hold of each one of us individually, I'm Denny at Experimental Brew, and he's Drew at ExperimentalBrew.com. It's almost logical. That's right. And you can always send us a voicemail at, or text to 626-765-1AL. So until next time, remember to always brew experimentally. Or brew wacky. And, and we'll, we'll see you on the next episode of Experimental Brewing. Thank you, everybody. Thank you very much, Australia. And that was our live show. I don't know about our listeners, but I always have more fun when we get to do this thing live. Yeah, I agree, man. There's a lot more energy there. But uh, after the conference, we had a lot more fun. We took a three-day drive up the coast to Sydney, where our buddy Paul Nicodem had organized an event at Batch Brewing in Sydney. Yeah, but more on that. In our next episode, because we got to leave you with something. That's right. And 
I just want to say we managed to drive about 1,100 kilometers or like 680, 700 miles uh, on the wrong side of the road. And aside from one minor wrong lane incident that we quickly corrected. Yeah, that's and, right. And me cutting somebody off in a roundabout, which was fun. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think I've screamed that loud in a long time. Well, I, I will say our worst driving mistake the whole way was each of us repeatedly hitting the windshield wipers when we meant to signal a turn. Turns out those things get flipped. <laughs> so, uh, I'm, and I'm trying to remember what was the final record? Uh, 20 to like 20 to 16 or something like that? It, it was darn close. I, I I did it a few more times than Drew, but that's because I warned him about it first. If, if I would have yeah. let him just go on his own, I know he would have beaten me. Well, and even better, when I got back here to the States, I think we both ended up doing the exact that's opposite. That's right, man. Yeah, I, I, yesterday I kept turning on the wipers instead of the turn signals. But in the meanwhile, no hit kangaroos, no hit wallabies, no hit people. Uh, just lots of chances to have beer and pick up she shells by the seashore. <laughs> Yeah, it was a, a really, really beautiful drive. I enjoyed it immensely, and the folks were really great and welcoming. Uh, speaking of which, we want to thank one more time John Preston, Andy Davison, and everybody involved with ANHC for bringing us over, and a big thanks to Paul for his efforts in Sydney. It was a long flight, but man, ask me, and I'll be there again in a moment. In Indeed. Before we go, we want to remind you that you can listen to all of the episodes of the show by going to our website, experimentalbrew.com. We're on Twitter as EXP Brewing, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram. I'm on a bunch of different beer forums, although mainly the AHA forum. You can find Drew on the Homebrewing subreddit and the Slack Homebrew channel. You can ask us questions or suggest topics, recipes, experiments, or even just rant and rave by emailing us at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. And you can contact each of us individually by emailing Denny at experimentalbrew.com or Drew at experimentalbrew.com. And you can always leave us a voicemail or shoot us a text at 626-765-1AL. And don't forget that you can support the podcast by leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts. Click the Amazon, AHA, or BYO links, or Brewer's Friends link now, on the website, and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is... An organization called Nowzad, based in Afghanistan. It's meant to help our troops there with the animals that they adopt, take care of them there, and help them in bringing them home. Uh, truly a great, great organization. So until next time, remember to always brew experimentally. Or brew wacky. And we'll see you on the next episode of Experimental Brewing.